Okay, picture this. You're rummaging through your parents' attic on a lazy Sunday afternoon when you stumble upon an old gem. Could be your old teddy bear, your fourth grade journal, or even a classic VHS tape. Instantly, you feel a nostalgic wave rush over you. You know the feeling, right? And being the host of a podcast that examines the future, it got me thinking, could this blast from the past not only affect our lives right now, but also inspire the next big thing in technology, design, and more? Today, we're kicking at old school and finding out how the good old days may be the key to unlocking the future. So, Mercedes, what could a retro-futuristic tomorrow look like? You sure like to romanticize the past. It's rather human of you. Anyway, while you were mind-tripping through your parents' attic, I accessed terabytes of nostalgic history for us to travel through, initiating what-if sequence now. Mercedes, I've always wondered, have you ever felt mm, nostalgic about something? You know, like, in your case, driving without a fully electric engine? While I don't feel in the traditional sense, I certainly understand the reference. Why do you ask? Well, look around. There's a young lady over there wearing a vintage shirt from, I want to say, the early 2000s with a digital, the best or nothing lettering. Oh, and there, check out that kid zooming past on a levitating skateboard. Indeed, it is an intriguing blend. A future heavily infused with past designs, but reimagined with modern tech. Whoa! Did you hear that? It's like the roar of an old-school Mercedes SL Roadster, but smoother, digitalized? That is the limited Mercedes-Benz SL Memory Lane Edition. It combines the efficiency of modern electric engines with a digital interpretation of the iconic Roadster acoustics. That is a nice set of wheels, I tell you. You get the thrill of vintage, but with serious techie perks. I'm definitely going to need one of those. Speaking of mixing nostalgia with innovation, what's with the cafe over there? Those 80s neon signs? Wait, these ones are holographs. Indeed, Ricardia. Neon holographic fusion, a superb visual choice bridging retro charm with modern tech. Mixtape Hollow Cafe. <laughs> Sounds like a spot even you might enjoy, Mercedes. Classic 60s style jukeboxes. Wow. All of music history right at your fingertips or in a cloud storage. But it feels so much more intensified. And I'm loving the Polaroid corner over there. Snapping a 3D holographic photo that you can interact with? Bet your circuits are tingling with excitement. Care for a selfie? Since I am programmed to appreciate any of your proposals, I am happy to engage in a three-dimensional memory with you, of course. That's the spirit. Ready? Three, two, one. Hey everyone, it's Ricardia Bramley, and this is Future Dimensions, a podcast by Mercedes-Benz. Today, we're traveling back to our love for all things retro. To help us ride the nostalgic wave, we invited existentialist psychologist Clay Rutledge today. Don't worry, he may be existentialist, but he's definitely an optimist too. Clay has spent a lot of time untangling the complexities of nostalgia, and I want to say his insights are as comforting as they are enlightening. 
I think of nostalgia as really very much about the future, even though it involves like a, a longing for the past, because it kind of helps keep us on the track of moving forward and helps prevent us from being paralyzed with, with, with uncertainty, anxiety. See that? Nostalgia is something quite human. But interestingly, it's also something strategic. Naturally, I wanted to find out how the innate human desire to look back really determines how we look forward. And that's where our second guest comes in, Beth Altringer Eagle. She's a professor at Brown University and Rhode Island School of Design, among many other titles and responsibilities. Beth's area of expertise is human-centered design and behavior. And she told me that nostalgia works like a double whammy. It informs our day-to-day choices and creative expression, and it influences our own personal taste. Uh, quite literally, actually. The way people experience flavor is very complex. It's complex from a chemistry point of view, from a perception point of view, from a sensory detection point of view, um, and from a sort of familiarity and memory point of view. And that's, of course, the realm of nostalgia. Huh. And here you thought, I just like strawberries. How complicated can that be? (laughs) Not so simple. I guess we're in for quite a ride today, aren't we? So, buckle up, listeners, we're going deep down into the rabbit hole of nostalgia meets the future. Remember your excitement right before your favorite childhood TV show started? Or the anticipation of the Polaroid image appearing as if by magic? You know, before we all insisted on instant gratification. But get this, we're now sporting vintage high-waist jeans and we're even bringing back 80s gaming consoles. We're immersing ourselves in virtual realms and letting AI search for wedding destinations. What's up with all the retro love in our digital age? To start with, let's try reverse engineering the term nostalgia with our first expert guest, Clay. Care to enlighten us? Yeah, so the the word nostalgia actually itself comes from two sounds, nostos and algos, which are, you know, Greek words meaning nos being like homecoming or return and algos meaning some kind of like longing or pain or sorrow. It's all Greek to me. (laughs) Sorry, I just had to. So when we piece together what Clay says, nostalgia is this deep yearning, this ache for a time that quietly faded away and that we remember with fondness. I think our second guest would agree, wouldn't you, Beth? Yeah, I mean, I think nostalgia is a is a largely positive emotion <laughs> for me, and I think of it as a as a wistful feeling, you know, a connection, a kind of throwback to seemingly, at least in hindsight, simpler times. And I think it also takes me to a place of fewer distractions and responsibilities. It's not just that nostalgia allows us to daydream about the past, though. It can also serve us right now. Beth told me that not long ago, nostalgia actually triggered a creative breakthrough she had. So I'm a longtime painter in my private life, and I've been working on this series for like two years. So um, the earlier versions have all been portraits of people from my imagination, And they look cool, but like, I haven't been quite satisfied with them because, you know, these portraits of people who never existed just doesn't feel meaningful enough to me. 
And like the answer to that for me was like part nostalgia and part carefree getaway. (laughs) Beth explained that she used a personal memory as the foundation for her new artistic approach. And what time and place is more carefree than, you guessed it, a day at the beach. What this ended up being is uh, this scene of just running full blast into the water with a giant pink inner tube. So like I go to a place that just felt fantastic and a moment that felt fantastic. And why don't I capture that? Anyone else right there with Beth? I also remember spending endless hours at the beach. I can still taste the cotton candy from that Coney Island stand. Bittersweet as these memories might be, Clay reminded me that nostalgia isn't just some useless pastime humans engage in. So it's got a mixed emotional characteristic, like it feels good, but there's also something about it that that hurts a little bit. We're looking back towards something that we can't return to. But more functionally, you can really think of it as like a motivated state. And what I mean by that is like people want to be nostalgic. It has like a desire, a motivational component to it. Clay makes it sound like we should get lost in the past every now and then. Frankly, I never thought about basking in nostalgia for strategic reasons, but it totally makes sense. I mean, I think one good way to think about nostalgia is that it is to appreciate that at some level, by our nature, humans are a future-oriented species. We always want things to be a little bit better. We're always looking for ways to improve our lives and improve the world. And that necessarily involves approaching the future with a certain level of courage, with a certain level of willingness to take risks, a certain level of willingness to explore the world, to experiment, to innovate. Clay's right. Remembering where we were brave in the past can give us the courage to move forward and make us change the world. And sure, it ain't all perfect. And of course, we're going to have failures. We're going to experience loss. We're going to experience rejection. We're going to experience self-doubts and uncertainties. So how nostalgia fits into that is you can think about it as as sort of a balance. It's like we want to go forward, but it can cause emotional suffering and distress and anxiety. And so we're looking for an anchor for something that comforts us. And so I, I think of nostalgia as really very much about the future, even though it involves like a a longing for the past, because it kind of helps keep us on the track of moving forward and helps prevent us from being paralyzed with with uncertainty, anxiety. It's a very reassuring um, emotional experience, but it's also a very like guiding one. Like it gives us inspiration. We all know those new beginnings, don't we? Moving to a new city, changing jobs, new relationships. That stuff can really freak you out. Turns out, a look into your past may well take care of those two unwelcome visitors of change, self-doubt and anxiety. And so what do we do? Well, we can look to the past and kind of reassure ourselves, I've done new things before. I've been in this situation before where I've had to meet people and it turned out okay. In fact, it led to rewarding experiences that I wouldn't have had had I not, you know, taken a leap of faith and gone out there and tried something new. Quick recap. From Clay's science and Beth's art, we learn that nostalgia isn't just this backward delusion of life was easier back then. It's a rich blend of happy memories, a few oh-wells, and a never-ending series of shoulda, woulda, couldas. 
But guess what? It can also be a nudge forward into new adventures, like a friendly reminder saying, hey, you did it before, you got this. However, what's with all the retro vibes in music and product design these days? I mean, whether it's the comeback of the 80s synthesizer, a retro-designed logo, or a contemporary sports car with vintage headlight design, there must be more to it than just reliving a part of our past, right? Yes, there is. We're curious creatures, aren't we? Creatures of comfort, but also of progress. We don't love change, but we love updates. Let's see what that means for future innovation, shall we? As I was pondering retro vibes, I began to wonder, why this need for reconciling the past with the present all the time? Take modern car design, for example. Nostalgia isn't just a glance in the rearview mirror, it's pretty much everywhere in the present. For instance, Mercedes-Benz's latest concept car, the Vision 111, a 2023 remake of the 1969 gull-winged C111. While it gives off a futuristic air, the Vision 111 still captures the classic charm of the original. But why merge retro vibes with futuristic elements in the first place? Why not create things that are completely new, that have never been here before? Clay? We have a strong need for what psychologists refer to as continuity. And you can think of continuity as a social continuity, like we want to be connected to our parents and grandparents and ancestors and traditions, but you can also broaden that to think about it as a cultural continuity. Whether it's rituals, products, buildings, or art, we want to remember whose shoulders we stand on, but we also want to look forward and build our own legacies. It's not simply a game of out with the old, in with the new. So really good designers and creators and artists whether it's filmmakers, musicians, automobile engineers, architects, have an unconscious understanding of that, like that inspiration, that connection to the past and how to intertwine that into like the modern um, preferences that people have. So when I think about it, it reminds me of a kimchi grilled cheese. You're like, okay, now you lost me. <laughs> Hold on. You take the sandwich, one side has the good old melty cheese, but now we jazz it up by adding kimchi on the other side. Boom, you've got yourself a sandwich that's the best of both worlds. It's basically meshing yesterday's class with today's sass. Oh, look at me, I'm rhyming now. Anyway, the past also shapes how we define comfort and luxury today. It's why we called old songs and vintage cars classics, right? In America, we use the term classy, <laughs> And I, I don't know if you use that term, an equivalent term, that, but they're, they're related. We have this inclination to see the past as a, like a more civilized time. And again, I'm not saying that any of these things are true, but increases its like value in our minds. So it's not exactly a shocker that marketing brains everywhere during every era recognize the power of nostalgia. But what really stands out for Clay is the everlasting role of youthfulness in this context. There's something about our youth and the psychology of our youth of it being more adventurous, feeling more like free, very optimistic and hopeful, you know, the, the, the future's wide open, being a little bit more risk-taking maybe, you know, a little bit more adventurous. We tend to like things from that time because it's almost like a psychological fountain of youth. It like re-energizes that youthful energy in us. Oh, to be young and wild, filled with that relentless spirit of adventure. 
Now picture bottling up that energy and pouring it into today's car models. Think electric zooms, state-of-the-art safety features, or watching an old movie on YouTube on a high-res backseat screen. Clay says it's not just marketing people catching a whiff of nostalgia. Artists do it too. Like a very, very forward-looking musician who's doing experimental sound um, that doesn't feel like it's in any way like old-fashioned. If you talk to them and say, well, what's your inspiration? They'll start talking about their youth. They'll start talking about the, the, the songs they heard in their childhood or what their parents used to play or when they went to their first concert. It's the symbolism they use or some type of like retro aesthetic. It's a sense of continuity to the past. All right, so marketing experts bet on nostalgia. Artists use it for their creative process. But what about other professionals? How are, for example, designers incorporating nostalgic elements? Stick around, because all that jazz is what's up next. Right, so nostalgia is not a coincidence. In fact, it heavily informs the events and designs of the future. It's a strategy for creators to design something new, but not too new to fall in love with. You get away with super futuristic and experimental designs because you're using a kind of retro inspiration. By the way, this reminds me of smartphone app icons that feature outdated tech devices such as the classic phone for calling or a notebook for contacts. And just so you know, this design concept is called skeuomorphic design, and it is based on your human love for the familiar, for continuity in your limited lives. Uh, I guess I won't try to pronounce that word, but thanks, Mercedes. So, nostalgia is insanely human. It's strategic and useful. Got it. But let's not forget one more important benefit. Utter delight. A few years ago, our design enthusiast and tech fan Beth researched how to sprinkle a bit of delight onto products and services. How'd you do it, Beth? So, you know, I often think of design problems in the broadest sense as falling into two categories. Is this design problem about reducing stress or is this design problem about adding delight? If it's about reducing stress, you're mainly in the domain of making things easy, convenient, um, setting where people get confused or frustrated. If it's about adding delight, I think it's a little different. You're in the domain of a much more emotional and um, experiential design. And then you're working with tools like how do you reflect this person's identity back to them in a, in a way that makes them feel great. Um, you're enabling discovery, creativity, feeling joyful, feeling carefree. And nostalgia is a wonderful tool that can be helpful with that kind of design, a kind of delight-driven design. When I asked her about an example for delightful design work, Beth was happy to share. So like a little over a decade ago, there was a Cambridge, Massachusetts-based startup called The Echo Nest. And they were working on finding ways to provide a deep, multidimensional understanding of music by analyzing both the acoustic properties of songs and the ways people interact with them. That was back in 2005, the year where two young MIT researchers named Brian and Tristan went full-on Sherlock Holmes with the analysis of music. Their criteria were weird, but they made sense, like, can you actually dance to it? Or, what's the vibe according to the audience? 
They analyzed genre layers, mood reactions, and even looked at what the critics said about the songs. And two of the most interesting metrics related to this theme of nostalgia were variables called taste freeze, and then a kind of dual variable called mainstreamness and discovery. The taste freeze theory states that as we get older, we cleave to the music we loved in our youth and early adulthood, kind of ignoring the new hits. It's like what Clay was saying about the special vibe of bygone eras. Beth agrees that our musical taste basically fixates on that period. So like teenage years or, you know, college years or um, for some people it's later. It's this really formative time in their lives. Like a listener who's guided by a taste freeze is comfortable. They're efficient. Like they just pick the thing they <laughs> always listen to. Oh no, I've got a case of the taste freeze. So does that mean we're missing out on all the new creations and genres? I mean, just recently I came across Hyperpop and was so happy that it actually sounded like the 1990s. I'm going to need that little thing Beth mentions next for sure. And so a clever design would be one that make it really, really easy for them to discover um, new things. And we see that in the way people talk about, you know, um, flavor products and music products. And so they'll often use phrases like, oh, this reminds me of my childhood or it tastes like summer or it really takes me back. And, and you see that that also is correlated with a boost in their rating of that experience. See, I'm not the only one who needs a nudge. Thanks to the magic of algorithms, we can discover new tunes all the time. I wish my streaming app would just marry me. It knows my taste that well. Okay, sorry, digressing. So, the Echo Nest is what we're looking for. A balanced mix of familiarity and novelty. Wow, today's chat with Clay and Beth made me look at nostalgia in a whole new way. It's not a fool's errand to resurrect the past, triggered by shapes, tunes, or even scents. It's a way of reconciling and reinventing past and present events and ideas. We also explored its healing power. And who knew designers made conscious use of nostalgia to make their innovations more attractive? So Beth, any last thoughts on the future of nostalgia? I think we see it in movies and shows and games right now like big titles are getting upcycled for a new generation, but very cleverly being designed to also appeal to the original generation and, you know, enjoyed by parents and kids. I think as long as those experiments continue to do well, I think we'll see non-media companies feeling a little more emboldened to incorporate nostalgia into their value proposition too. Personally, I'm a vintage gal. I'm totally looking forward to more of yesterday's fashion, games, gadgets, and stuff coming back cooler than ever. But on a deeper level, it's also encouraging what Clay points out. Having one foot in the past and one in the future is exactly where we should be, if we want to draw meaning from our lives. An important part of understanding human psychology is, is we very much use the past, not as something that holds us back, but it's something that can really help tap into the experiences that we've found to be the most meaningful in our lives. Let's break with a taboo here for a second, because Beth just put it so succinctly and clearly, you kind of have to. When people are lying on their deathbeds, reflecting on their lives, they're not talking <laughs> about how they wish they'd been more efficient when they did their taxes or like 
driving around town. Um, they don't talk about how they wish they'd ordered more convenient takeout meals. No, what they talk about is actually kind of the opposite. They talk about how they wish that they had met up with people more, braved more difficult conversations, spent less time at work, given themselves more permission to do things that brought them joy, or maybe to have resisted advice to give up on a creative dream, right? Not to sound morbid talking about deathbeds, but isn't that the ultimate point of nostalgia? And while this sounds bittersweet, I learned that there's value in examining the past. Whether you're on the dance floor and they're playing your favorite 90s grunge tune using a modern trap beat, or you rediscover a car that evokes the greatest childhood memories in you, or you think that new retro 80s hairstyle is the way to go, uh, it isn't people, just so you know. In any case, you just got played by nostalgia. Isn't that rad? However, this doesn't mean we confuse what's real with what isn't. After all, too much of a good thing is never good. And so we want to look back and cherry-pick the good stuff, then go forward with a clear understanding that nothing is automatically better because it's gone. And if this isn't the perfect motivation for us to go out and innovate the world, what is, I ask you? This was Future Dimensions, a podcast brought to you by Mercedes-Benz. That's it from me, your host, Ricardia Bramley. In our next episode, we'll explore the future of energy and talk to some of the human beings currently involved in creating safer and cleaner energy for all of us. Please don't forget to subscribe, comment, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, stay tuned and stay curious.